Welcome to Saints and Humans, a podcast for chaplains who are also human and sometimes better at being humans than saints. I will be sharing my own experiences of being a chaplain and interviewing others to hear their stories and the stories of their families, as well as learning from colleagues we work with in related fields, because it's our own humanity that unites us on this very spiritual journey through a very mortal life. disaster chaplain. Oh, um, so what type of, um, I guess, what organization is that with, community and disaster chaplain? So I sometimes have worked with hospitals in the past, and I was a hospital chaplain, but now I have worked with um, either independently or through assignments because of my other work, so people just know me, alongside um, coordinating with the military sometimes, sometimes with NGOs or things like that. Yeah, okay, so I'm I'm kind of familiar with what you do. Um, Having been in the military, I've worked with some NGOs in the past. Yes, I've done a lot of, I've been on the interagency committee between... um, Oh, nice. Like Red Cross and Red Crescent and and different things as well. So... All kinds of things, UNICEF, um, the refugee work. So it's been pretty varied. Do you have to go on? Do you have to go on? um, uh, Trying to think of another word that isn't mission. Do you have to go um, on? I guess to go travel to cover some stuff sometimes when there is a crisis. Yes, sometimes I get deployed. Sometimes I get assigned. They use all kinds of different words. I like the word deployed. Yeah, (laughs) familiar, right? Yes, that's a familiar one for me. How would you how would you introduce yourself? So I would introduce myself as Lieutenant Colonel Sonny Munson, and I am a uh, public affairs officer for U.S. Northern Command. I'm specifically I'm their media operations chief. Tell us your story. How did this even happen? The calling for the military advisory committee, or how I decided to join the military. Let's start with how you joined the military. Okay, so I initially enlisted into the Army Reserves to kind of kickstart my life after I graduated. Actually, before I graduated high school, my dad signed off on paperwork to allow me to enlist when I was 17. And then I joined the Army Reserves, went to basic training in AIT, and I decided to do that route so I could go to college at BYU. And I stayed and actually switched to active duty based off of a, a prayer about going on a mission. And so when I was 21 at BYU, I decided to uh, think about, well, maybe I should take a, I should go on a mission because I was 21 and wasn't married. And I prayed about it. And the answer I got was no, but you get your answer later. And I was like, what? That doesn't make any sense. So I prayed again. <laughs> I got the same answer. Imagine that. And so then a couple of weeks later in Relief Society, we were studying prophets, prophets' lives at the time, and the Relief Society teacher asked, hey, can I have somebody volunteer to read? I was like, yeah, sure, I'll read. Opened up to the page that I thought I was supposed to read, 
Turns out I was reading the wrong page. And she said, hey, can you actually read what I asked you to do? Oh, yeah, sure. I'll fix myself. And when I did do that, I got the distinct prompting, you need to turn that page over. And so I turned that page over. And in that um, lesson about missionary work, uh, President Monson said there's more than one way to serve a mission. And one of those is the military. And so I got my very distinct impression that that was, was how I was supposed to serve uh, my mission. And so I switched from Army Reserves to active duty um, after I commissioned at, uh, from BYU. And I became an engineer officer. And so for the first half of my career, I was an engineer officer. Um, while I did that, I did the typical jobs, platoon leader, company commander, um, ended up finishing as an engineer officer as a brigade operations officer. And then I switched over to public affairs. And I've been doing public affairs for this, the second half of my career. I've done four combat deployments, a total of 43 months overseas, three of those deployments to Iraq, and one to Kuwait. And we've lived all over the world. And that's kind of my military history. And what, through those experiences that you can share, what did you learn about chaplaincy at all? <laughs> um, so I actually learned quite a bit about chaplaincy, more as a customer than um, anybody else or anything else. I had a couple of unique opportunities where I worked very closely with chaplains as a uh, public affairs officer. Um, we are both the chaplains and public affairs officers are personal staff to the commander. And so um, I got to help one chaplain teach about suicide when we were in Germany because I had lost um, one of my brothers to suicide. And, and then other times, t life can be tough. And sometimes having counseling from, that's faith-based was really helpful for me. There were times where I felt alone as a sister that was deployed. And so going to the chaplain sometimes and just having a conversation helped me a lot. I went through almost 19 years on active duty before I f met my first chaplain from our church. Um, and so majority of my experiences with chaplains, whether that be working on the staff with them or using their services, was all members of other faiths. And the part that I loved about that was they were truly living up to their calling um, to give comprehensive religious support to all, no matter what their faith was, which I greatly appreciated. And they helped me get some really hard times. I definitely remember one time specifically, work was really hard and I had gotten some bad news and I was curled up crying. And my friend goes, what can I do? I'm like, please call a chaplain. And so the chaplain came and sometimes they just need to sit next to you and let you cry. And Fulbert Colonel Chaplain sat next to me and let me cry. And the part that was beautiful about almost every single chaplain I've worked with, there's some consistency in their, in their services. They always left me with a blessing and closed with a prayer. And for me, prayer has been a very important thing in my life. And so it was, it was beautiful to see Heavenly Father's promptings to lead those men to help me in those times of need. What was that like when you met your first chaplain from your own faith? <laughs> I told him he was a unicorn. Um, <laughs> that way too because I've only met two other active duty army officers that were active members of the church 
but the first chaplain I met, um, his name is uh, Captain Ty Breezy. It was at Joint Base Lewis McCord. And it was actually kind of funny. It was right after I had gotten called to the military advisory committee and our our full board colonel, uh, Chaplain Del Tufo, got all excited. He's like, you, our new chaplain for, for, uh, for our battalion is, is a member of your church. And he's like, here's his phone number and I'll have him come over and meet you. And, and he, he was just wonderful. And the part that was, <laughs> that I really loved about it was he could really relate to what I, I, what I believed. And then he was also able to, to give me a blessing when I, there was another time that I needed some help. And he, it was in reference to, I have an autistic child and we were having some struggles getting him what he needed at school. And it was beautiful to be able to receive those priesthood blessings that other chaplains may not have been able to give me. So it was like setting the bar a little bit higher. It's like every other one has left me with a blessing or a prayer, but then to get actual priesthood hands laid upon my head to give me a blessing for something I was struggling with was great. And I really, really love that man. He's, he's phenomenal. And it was wonderful to see him during the chaplain's training in October. We definitely gave each other really big hugs and I got to meet his wife and it was, it was phenomenal. That's amazing. What was that like for you at the training? Um, <laughs> uh, I would say a, a spiritual feast. I've never, uh, now I kind of understand from the scriptures how some of our prophets, specifically Joseph Smith, when he, how exhausted he was. Because there was just so much spiritual nourishment and guidance um, that was given during that chaplain's training. And for me, um, I have to admit, I was super nervous about going to this. Um, that was the first in-person thing that we've been asked to do since getting the calling on the military advisory committee. And um, I went to the Lord and said, please help me. I'm a little nervous about this. So I called my dad and I told him about it. And he's like, just be you. I was like, okay. And then I talked to my boss about the trip that I was heading to. And um, her piece of advice was just make friends. And so those things kind of stuck with me while I was flying over there. I said, okay, just be me and make friends. And it was wonderful. Everyone was so welcoming and kind, even though I wasn't a chaplain. And the part that was really kind of unique for me was I felt I could definitely relate to our military chaplains because I've been serving since I was 17. But I was very um, <laughs> surprised that the calling that I had was also going to help other chaplains across um, different organizations. I was like, well, how can I help those specific chaplains? And the part that was cool about that um, was I've gone through a lot of trauma. And so it was wonderful to know that I could relate to them on, on that space and be able to kind of tell my story and tell them how much they are appreciated and loved for helping people in those direst of circumstances. My mother passed away when I was four. Um, my um, father remarried an abusive alcoholic. We finally got divorced. My older brother um, has some mental health issues and he's um, been in trouble with the law a couple of times. And then I had another brother that committed suicide. So I've, I've had a lot of things that people have, everybody has to go through at times, which made me feel and taught me how empathy, like love and empathy and being there when people need you the most. And sometimes just a listening ear is great. 
I, I kind of want to look at each of those pieces just a little bit, not in an intrusive way, but in yep. a human way, because there's <laughs> such powerful stories. I also lost my yep. mother and lost my mother unexpectedly. She actually was killed in a car accident. I was an adult. What was that like to lose your mom as a child? It left a lot of unanswered questions. So again, um, um, I'm a convert to the church. And me too. Um, <laughs> the part that that helped me with that, like my mother's passing, set set me on a path to ask those hard questions. Um, we were Christian as children when I was a kid, but it wasn't. We weren't going to church, and so Christianity for us was, you know, celebrating Christmas and Easter. But I didn't know uh, where we went when we died. You know, what is my purpose? Why am I here? It left a lot of those gaping holes and questions. And I also just missed my mom. Like I didn't, I didn't get to have a relationship really with her. I only have two memories of her, but that impacted my life to the point where it made me ask those hard questions um, or always wonder those questions. And when the missionaries tracked into our door um, when I was 12, my father was kind of looking for some, he realized we were missing that. And especially it was right after he went through a divorce. And he's like, okay, I have to do something to kind of bring us together. And he brought us to a whole bunch of different churches. And none of them felt right to him. And so Heavenly Father kind of answered his prayer and sent those missionaries to our house. I also left home at 17, but just running away, I didn't discover the military. That may have solved some problems in some ways, but that <laughs> is not structure. <laughs> that is not how it unfolded for me. But I'm curious about, and again, in a non-intrusive way, as much as we can sharing our stories, I'm curious how your experience, not just your personal experience of having your father remarry someone who was abusive and alcoholic, but also witnessing what someone who was an alcoholic, what that looked like, how did that impact your young adult years especially without a mom um it always made me wonder for me like what's a mom supposed to be like because <laughs> i i lost one and then the next one i had wasn't so great and the part that was beautiful about once i joined the church was i had some amazing youth leaders that kind of took me in and showed me what a family was supposed to be like. I was terrified to become a mom. Uh huh. I kept doubting myself, and I think a lot of that was because of that trauma that I had gone through. And my husband always had to kind of reassure me that everything was going to be fine, it would come naturally, and that I had seen good examples of women through the church. And so <laughs> I figured it out. I have a 10-year-old. Love him to death. <laughs> But it was definitely kind of a terrifying thing that was left on my heart in my mind. In my own journey, I have experienced a similar thing, but it took a different shape in that parenting my children early on, I did a lot of parenting by doing the opposite of what I had experienced. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. And so that that sort of guided me a lot and that intuition, like your husband was talking about what was natural and, 
and praying and trying my best. But also, I sort of did not have parents as far as in a functioning parenting way at all, good or bad, basically after fifth grade. So when my children hit fifth grade, I sort of had this panic of, I don't even know what a bad parent for fifth grade is. So I don't know how to do the opposite anymore because this is like, that's all I got was up to that point. And so that was kind of my panic then of, I I don't know what happens next. Yep. No, I, I understand. I understand that panic. And I, I honestly feel that my son, um, like I said, I don't know if I said this before, my son is autistic. And so with having a child with autism, it has to be structured. It has to be routine. It has to be calm. And we've gone through lots of thousands of hours of therapy to teach us to kind of how to how to operate with them. And the part that's beautiful about that is those technique works works for any child. And in fact, it's helped me a lot sometimes with my callings at church. When there's other kids that, that have those um, have some unique needs, it's helped me kind of navigate that space too. And so a blessing in disguise of having a child in, with autism was I, I had to learn and people taught me how to, to work with individual children um, at their level and with what their needs that, that they may have. I love that so much. We have so much in common. I also have a son with autism <laughs> and, and I, I've had similar experiences both from things I went through growing up and as a parent where I can take that experience and sort of apply it in the work setting. And there are times where people say, how can you do what you do? How can you be exposed to this and exposed to that and keep dealing and you get yourself in these weird situations? I'm like, I didn't get myself in this situation. The situation happened and I respond to it. That is my job. And, and, And at some point though, I feel at least for me, and I mean, there's a layer where I need to address things in therapy so that I'm taking care of myself and so that war is not my baseline, (laughs) right? Self-care is important. Exactly. But also, at the same time, I really appreciate how, in a very spiritual way, the worst, most difficult moments of my life can be transformed and used for good in these ways where if I had not been through what I had been through, I would not be prepared or have the strength to do what I do every day. Oh, no, I I 100% agree with you. I, I honestly feel that Heavenly Father gives us what we can handle and also gives us those those opportunities. Sometimes they may, they may feel like, horrible burdens um to help us grow and more importantly once we grow to help others that are going through that same thing wow i'm just letting that sit for a minute sorry no it's okay (laughs) what what would you share in that same context about those who have survived a death by suicide so i think for people that (laughs) that remain after somebody in their, in their family, um, decides to, you know, take their life is it, (laughs) the part that helped me was I did have an eternal perspective and I did, I do know that a lot of the stuff that my, that we went through as kids 
had had contributed to my my brother's decisions um and the part that was hard for me was i was home from college at byu when my brother told me um he had he had talked about it before he had said you know i'm going to kill myself like it wasn't that it, it was a normal thing for him to say um and so anytime he would say it's like you know that's that's not an option um but this time um, when i was home from college um he had a plan he had a date and through my army training that i had had um i knew <laughs> um don't leave him alone try to get him help but being as young as i was i didn't know that i could have taken him to an emergency room and so i was like well the only thing i can really think of doing is talk to him and tell him he's loved and i and then not leave him alone <laughs> so I, I think i talked to him for about four hours um into the wee hours of the night and i called his girlfriend and once he was i felt like he was calmed down enough because he also was having some again suicide kind of has multiple layers to get you to that point and i, I use the analogy um from shrek ogres are like onions and so there was childhood trauma he had dealt with. He was having financial problems. He was, he had been in trouble with the law. He was selling drugs. So there was just, uh, he was doing drugs himself. So there was a lot of layers to it that I think eventually pushed him to that point. And so I, I handed him over to his girlfriend. And the next morning I told dad, I was like, hey dad, Nick needs some serious help. And my dad's, my dad, thought it was like the usual oh he's just he's just doing what he's doing to get attention I'm like no dad he has a he has a plan and the part that's hard is you you tend to ask yourself what else could I have done and you're only <laughs> hindsight's 2020 you're only good at as on those decisions at that moment and he still has his agency to make that choice my dad had to kind of get to that point too what else could I have done I'm sure we both ask that question a lot and so after he killed himself, the question of what else could I have done probably lingered probably for a bit. And then you kind of get this answer. There's nothing else you could have done. That was his choice. But what you can do from this point is share your story and, and help others that are in those situations. How do I hopefully honor him by helping somebody else that's in that situation? Or how do I help that person that, that goes through that, that's left behind, to let them know that they're not alone. They're not the only one that's faced this, and we can get through this together. That's so beautiful. And it's, again, transformative, taking something that was such a struggle for him and so difficult for you, but bringing compassion to it and sharing it with others so that it transforms not just ourselves, but those around us. Yeah, and no, and, and the part that's cool about that too is like I watched my dad, I learned that from my dad. Um, it took my dad a lot longer to heal from that, but the part that was amazing that I watched him do was kind of awe-inspiring at my brother's funeral because I honestly said, I honestly feel that I don't think he would have done it if he wasn't under the influence of drugs. It was like that one last layer that pushed him over the edge. And so for my father, he kind of got out of a sermon, a sermon about, you know, avoiding, you know, 
uh, substance abuse issues because, I mean, it has some severe permanent consequences. Um, and to see those other kids in that room or, or young adults, my brother was 20 at the time, realize that maybe some of the decisions they were making weren't great and could have some lasting consequences. And I got to watch his girlfriend transform and turn her life around completely. And she's a successful mother and, and she worked. And it was so beautiful. So it was kind of great to see some of those kids that were struggling along with him learn from that experience. Um, so not only did our family learn, a lot of his friends did too. Wow. Wow. It's, there's there's something sacred in that. There's something ministry in that and something tending to even even his friends and even even after his his mortal life, his his mortality that that continues yeah. in that way in such a beautiful and healing way, life-saving way at times. Yeah, it was it was it was great to see learn that and see that my dad do that. And so when I did see that, I was like, okay, that's probably one of the better ways that you can tackle his and, and remember him is how do I help others that are in that situation or how to prevent it from happening in the future. And so it's great to be able to have those opportunities and, and have those discussions. And I do remember that one, that uh, a training I did with a chaplain about it. And I, I told the entire story um, from soup to nuts, from mother passing away to where my brother was at uh, before he, he passed away. And then the part that was really cool about after that training was I had some soldiers come up to me. He's like, thank you. Come, thank, like one of mine, I wasn't even aware that he was struggling with um, suicidal ideations. Come up to me afterwards. He said, thank you. I don't feel so alone and I'm struggling with that right now. I said, I'm glad that you were willing to come talk to me. What can we do to help you? And so I think just knowing that you're not alone in that situation and that it's not, it's, it's not a unique thing. <laughs> a lot of people deal with it, but how do we do this together and how do we help each other? I think it also brings perspective and grace to those who have struggled even to losing their lives or, or in ways that they couldn't fix. So in, in my story, um, my father died of cancer and it was very slow and awful and there was opportunity oh. to have those kinds of end of life conversations like we see in chaplaincy sometimes but in my yep. case because of trauma those conversations didn't happen not with me and and so it was yep. very difficult and painful and then my mother was killed right after that like unexpectedly oh. and so my there were with her we had made some progress and some healing and some difficult conversations about trauma from when i was young and different things and but still she struggled so much with yeah. um her own suicidality and there were many attempts while i was growing up and she had lived through those but it was so so difficult and thinking about trauma specifically and all the different shapes that it takes, it is one of the things that makes me so grateful for the atonement. And not not because people need forgiveness for struggling. We don't need forgiveness for struggling. We, we struggle because we're human. But yep. 
but because I know that because of the atonement, those struggles will one day in some way I don't fully understand be lifted and that I will be able to see these people that I want so much to love and to know, I will see them for who they really are, not see them through the lens of substances and the lens of trauma and the lens of pain and the lens of the heaviness of all of that, but who they really were all along that we didn't get to see. And I am in some ways beyond excited to discover who they really were. No, and I think I've I've had some glimpses of that in the temple. So when I did um, my mother's baptism, um, I saw her spirit and I could see how happy and loved that she felt, right? And then when my husband went to the temple do my brother's endowments because my brother had been baptized um just the distinct calm that came over me knowing that he had accepted the ordinance and that he he had been forgiven and and that he didn't necessarily have to be forgiven because he was going through some really hard things that some people can't handle um and so it was beautiful to know that there, there is, through the atonement, the possibility of being forgiven for virtually anything, if you're willing to do it. That's so beautiful. I am so grateful. What, tell us, tell us the, the other piece you're here to share about the Military Advisory Committee. Tell us what that is and how you found out about it and your calling and all of this. Yeah. Um, So the Military Advisory Committee is a committee of 13 members that are somehow associated with the military. The Military Advisory Committee was started to help assist chaplains when chaplaincy was kind of in its infancy during, I think it's World War One. So it's basically existed for 70 years in some form or fashion. The name has changed. The number of personnel has changed. But the purpose has remained the same, to have those people who have walked to the path help advise and assist the church leadership in how to help support military members and then obviously chaplains who service and give comprehensive religious support to all, no matter what their faith is, to be able to understand the unique I mean, to navigate the unique lifestyle and the unique potentially challenges that military service face, whether that's for a military service member, their family members, a DOD civilian, um, chaplains kind of serve that entire population um, because we do have some unique challenges. And so on the military advisory committee, we meet twice, we currently meet twice a year. We have had discussions about changing that to four times a year to discuss the current needs of that very unique demographic. What has that been like? Or what was that like to get that calling? Did you even know about that before? Or or what was your experience? 
<laughs> so I hadn't heard about the military advisory committee. Um, I had a, a um, fellow lieutenant colonel who I had known since BYU um, ask me about if I had heard about it before and if I'd be willing to talk to somebody about this specific calling and if this would be something that I'd be interested in kind of doing. And I was like, well, anytime anybody offers me a call, I'm going to say yes, right? Um, so I had no idea what they actually did. But as soon as I had my first initial um, discussions with um, General Taylor, um, who is also on the committee, he kind of explained what it was. And when he did say that, um, he said, well, what do you think? Is this something that you would want to do? Because I guess the military advisory committee members um, were, were making recommendations. Okay, who, how else, how can we um, add more members? Because that was one question they had. We need to add more members to this committee because we feel it's the time to do that because um, it's been a relatively smaller committee. Um, and he's like, would you like to serve? And um, I said, absolutely. Um, because I, I have a very unique perspective having been an army, a female army officer um, without the priesthood about what life is like um, for a female member who um, has been in a lot of units where um, there were no priesthood holders or if there were priesthood holders, we were separated by miles and miles upon miles. And so I went for a lot, a lot of times feeling very, um, either a unicorn, unique, sometimes alone. And I always wondered why I had gotten that very distinct calling when I asked about my mission. And it said to go in the military. And I was like, okay, I'll do what I'm told. But then after I got this calling, I had it made sense. I got that call when I was 21 years old. And now <laughs> I've been serving for 19 years on active duty. And all of my experiences, all of my leadership opportunities, all of my, sometimes when I felt alone, it was for a reason. So I could help the next generation of um, military leaders or sisters um, or children, because not only does a military member serve, so does their spouse and so do their kids. And how do we, how are we meeting their unique needs? And so serving on the military advisory committee, I feel like that's where Andrea and I will be able to probably help the most because we have a very unique perspective and we also know what it's like for our spouses and our kids who serve but haven't signed the contract but serve so that they can support their military member that that serves. We are so glad to have you and so glad you are there. Is there anything else that you would want people to know about this or what you're doing? Um, yeah, so I think I think the biggest thing that's that's great about um, the committee is the church normally operates in that committee type function. It isn't just top down. It's actually a lot broader than that. And it's it's on committees. They take advice. We make recommendations and then we go to the Lord, just like you do in your own personal revelations. A personal revelation is gathering all the information that, that's the most pertinent to that situation and then praying about it and bringing it to the Lord. Um, and so with committees and with this specific committee, we're designed to help church leadership 
um, and to help our chaplains provide comprehensive religious support to all, no matter what their faith base actually is, to help those in need. I love this so much. I love it so much. <laughs> I love the, I mean, as, as a woman, right? Like, and especially as a convert, I am all about how can we help women? How can we serve women? How can we empower women? But also I want to stay in the bounds and like, I never want to accidentally cross the lines. And I know like, I'm not going to get in trouble. Like I have enough trauma to be like, Oh, God's going to be mad at me. But like, I know that's not how it works. And like, you, I, 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 I think that so many of us who, who, struggle with with perspective or understanding or or wanting to like especially as chaplains when we're out there in the field healing people who say I was hurt and because I'm hurt my pain tells me this or my pain tells me that or other people say this or other people say that and it becomes such an internal struggle of trying to find congruence between my faith my faith expression, the world we actually live in, and what does that even look like? And so to have this simple answer in words of it looks like this, and we really are included, and here's how and what that's like, I think is so fantastic in the most simple way. Like it's so life-changing for some, it truly is. No, it, it definitely is, it takes a team and the team includes male and female. And we all individually bring our own strengths. And when we apply those strengths, we can enhance the work of the Lord. And sometimes when you focus on your strengths rather than your weaknesses, those strengths will help build your weaknesses as well. And in those areas where I'm just an ordinary person, I can do extraordinary things when I tap into the power of Heavenly Father and and Jesus Christ, atonement, He lifts burdens. It it I can repent. I can start over. Every day is a new day, and the most important thing that we can do is how can I get better every day? And I'm not perfect, so not every day is going to be better. But as long as I'm trying um, to stay on that covenant path and making those in- incremental um movements forward well somebody will help us and 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 help us with our our weaknesses and progress the work through ordinary people we can do extraordinary things (laughs) with the help of the savior so wonderful thank you so much yeah how often how often do you get to do these normally um well that's a good question Here's the story. Let me just tell you the story because it's what chaplains yeah. do. <laughs> it is that we, we decided. Talk. How about the fairs officers have the same problem? We just talk and talk and talk. Right, right. <laughs> so what happened is this kind of unfolded, both the idea, the inspiration is probably one of the most direct, revelatory, you need to do this experiences I've ever had in church or outside of church. And I texted Tammy and I was like, I need to tell you this because it scared the goobers out of me. Like, (laughs) it's it's just, I don't even know how to explain what just happened to me in church. And so in the middle of church, I'm like emailing her and saying, I I don't know what's just happened. And so then she, of course, had to get 
not not permission but but to this has come up what do you think and again that committee right like talking about what is this yep. and they're like no do it do it do it so we started doing it but obviously because we're just getting started and people don't know about it yet we started with people that we know which in some ways was yep. a good introduction to our own faith journey and experiences a little bit so people could yeah. know who we were but now we are trying to get the other chaplains and to interview spouses of chaplains and people chaplains work with like trying to get those people and trying to interview them but i can't contact people and so when i'm able to find people or can connect with people then i just ask them and some people say no some people do the interview and then change their mind Lots of people in the military oh, obviously have to get permission before they can. And, yep. you know, so there's all of that. And so I, I hope that over time, as people realize that we're doing this, that it will get yep. easier. But right now, it's been really hard to get people. Well, and I think um, I love chaplains in the, in the military. Um, but I think the biggest thing for them is they don't know the process of how to get approval. And so if you had the, hey, have you talked to your commands public affairs officer to say, hey, this is what um, I'm getting asked to do. Um, kind of give them the, this is the generic um, things that we're gonna talk about, which is kind of like your personal experience, right? Um, and then getting approval from whatever faith organization that they work for, right? So like for me, when I have to do these, I have to ask, I had to ask my boss, who is conveniently a public affairs officer. Um, and then um, uh, and then I had to ask church communications, is this okay for me to do? Um, and so once you get that approval, but the part that sometimes hard is, um, is getting that approval from the public affairs office because they necessarily don't know how it works, right? And so a lot of times explain if you were just to give them the kind of the five W's about the podcast, like this is what, this is how it normally works. Um, these are kind of the generic questions they would ask. They're probably more than likely able to get to yes um, and get that done first. Um, and a lot of times people are like, well, I've never done this. It's kind of terrifying. Um, so if you kind of gave them that, that heads up, this is what it looks like. This is um, the, the five W's about it. Um, they're probably more than likely able to get to yes and probably feel a little bit more comfortable about it. Um, but I think it's important for kind of all chaplains to have that conversation and even like users of chaplains. I'm a user of chaplain, right? Um, and I'm on military advisory committee. So getting that perspective about from um, everybody kind of helps chaplains, helps the chaplaincy grow and helps the chaplaincy learn, okay, how can I better serve an individual if we may not be the same faith or we may not have the same life experiences. I think a lot of the, the beauty of it because my personal opinion is like i think every everybody no matter who they are have the capacity to tap into that spirit if their heart's in the right place right heavenly father will help them do their job and help them help that other person because that's a whole that's the whole purpose of it right like there's angels among us yeah they're called humans <laughs> and that's how we get things done <laughs> absolutely for sure yeah. So I think it's great that you did follow that prompting. I know sometimes when you get those really like whammy promptings, like 
the, hey, you're going on a mission, and it's going to be 19 years in the military. Wait, what? <laughs> 21-year-old me would have been like, no, that's not possible. <laughs> um, and why? Um, and now it's like, aha, now I know why. <laughs> 19 years later, wow, I finally figured it out. And it's like, my timeline, not that same as Heavenly Father's timeline. <laughs> and same thing with the podcast. Yeah, it may be in infancy, but who knows where it goes. Like, look at some of those that you see. Sorry, one of my favorites is um, Sunday and Monday podcast. It's phenomenal. And I'm like, it, 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 her her experience is very similar to yours about starting. She's got this whammy, like, I need to start a podcast. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I'm glad that you were willing to follow that prompting. Because a lot of times, those, those scary whammy promptings, I've had them a lot. Anytime I, I, I get told to move, anytime I... Any life, big, big life decisions, right? Mission, marriage, <laughs> kids. It was always, I, I took it to the Lord because it's like, this is going to be a forever changing decision of my life. So for me, prayer, I learned, and I, and revelation, I learned at a very young age. And I'm very grateful for missionaries that taught me how to pray and the importance of it and listening to and understanding the spirit and how I get revelation. I wouldn't have. I want to figure it out without some good sisters missionaries. <laughs> so. Oh my goodness. I it's it's such a powerful gift and it's such a powerful connection that we have. Like I can't yeah. imagine, especially in the context of trauma, I can't imagine having lived through some of the things we have lived through if we had just been abandoned on planet Earth. And so to have that connection to the spirit and know like someone is still helping me navigate my way home that's the only reason i'm still here but it's yo exactly and i've i've grown on my covenant path you can be forgiven for almost anything um but you have to understand that and you have to be willing to take those 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 big steps and sometimes those addiction problems they're hard and the, the part that's scary too is like church has church has so many resources that you can use my, my husband had some issues with addiction for a while and the church's addiction program helped him and me heal and get through that. And he hasn't had that problem since because he had that support system. When you don't have a support system, when you don't have that faith, it's really hard to get over those very traumatic things. And I think honestly, the church has saved me and helped me progress. And I don't think I would have, I don't think I'd be where I was at today. I could be, I could be just like my brother. Does your family have any of those problems too? Oh Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And and I think one of the hardest things of watching um, loved ones struggle with their faith or struggle with the choices they're making when they're not acting in faith is yeah. knowing that they're just hurting and they're hungry and and yeah. spiritually hungry and, and needing to feel and experience God in the ways that they can and the ways yep. they still have access to so that Correct. they can remember what their spirit already knows. Yeah. Correct. I have a question for you because this is something I'm struggling with, with my kids. So how old is your kid that has autism? I have um, six kids and I have two boys with autism. One is turning 14 tomorrow or Friday okay. and one is 10. Did your kiddos ever struggle with understanding how to feel the spirit because my kid is kind of having that conversation with me right now and I don't I don't know what else to tell him um, besides the how it feels for me 
and then that it's a it's a because he doesn't really want to read scriptures on his own so he's really only reading scriptures with us while he's 10 he's probably more like a seven-year-old so how do i how do i help him grow his testimony and be able to feel the spirit because i think that will be a life-changing thing for him and then i'm also very concerned because they feel things differently i don't know how to explain that to him when i'm not autistic myself right Right. No, that's a really good question. I think it reminds me, honestly, of that military advisory committee, right? Like the thing that makes that so powerful is the lived experience. Yeah. And the same thing with with autism or GLBT or anything else, like how you minister to that or bring the spirit to people in those worlds or in in those experiences is different than how it might be for someone else without those experiences and so consulting with lived experience is everything um yeah i think that for for us with our boys a couple they're they're very different that's one thing about autism is it's so different for everybody right (laughs) but with one they so our family our family does individual scripture study together at the table in the mornings or it it won't oh. happen because that's great that's i that's a great idea well we've got so many kids and they're we have triplets who are 14 we have twins who are 10 and then an eight-year-old or she's going to be like she's almost eight yeah. and so um we we do individual scriptures just at the table in the morning because we it won't happen if we don't make that part of our day and then in the evening in the evening is when we do family scripture study and like pass the scriptures around taking turns reading verses right yeah oh i love it to kind of bookend our day so then it becomes part of their routine like when you were talking about the autism and the structure and all of that but then also one of them developmentally was um more delayed as far as intellect and so that one had the picture books much longer another one um is more advanced but won't slow down in uh, in intellect wise but won't slow down enough to actually process what they're reading so so one of the things for for your question in particular that we have to do is a lot of reading out loud a lot of listening A lot of, like, when we go on a road trip, that's when we listen to saints. Like, when they say, hey, everybody needs to listen to saints or read saints. I'm like, that can't happen in our family. Like, it's not going to happen. But what we can do is listen to the audio version while we're driving. (laughs) We're all stuck together, right? So we can get that. And so the scriptures are sometimes the same. And as far as feeling the spirit, it's a lot of talking of, like, how are you feeling right now? And what are you noticing right now? Or what are you experiencing right now? And working through finding what language they can identify it. So now, like, I have one who is very, very cognitive, super, super cognitive. But he can feel the spirit when he feels congruence between what we have taught or what he has read or what he has studied and something that he witnesses. I was like, that's confirmation. That's the spirit confirming to you. That's another witness Mm -hmm. and pulling in words with that. The other one is very, very experiential. And so Mm -hmm. for many years, like 
into teens, it was like the Sunday school answers of, of da, 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 I feel this, yes. I feel this, I feel this, I feel yeah. so warm. Are you really feeling warm right now or is that just the right <laughs> answer? Are you feeling right. so warm and happy? Like, really? <laughs> but but then exploring, yeah. then what does that look like? Until they could have their own language. So in that case, yeah. it developed differently and more slowly. But I can guarantee you it's also more authentic than most people. Yeah. Because it's, it's one of those, like, it's, I, I love that he's, he likes to take time um, sometimes when he's, when, just to sit and talk right mm-hmm. and so he likes to have those those conversations and talk um he's willing to do it with me but not so much with um with dad um to open up and say hey i don't i don't like going to church because i don't feel anything like you feel because he's always mommy why are you are those happy tears because i have to explain that that my spirit i feel it in here i feel very full and then it pours out my eyeballs um and his reaction isn't the same. And so I think his question is like, well, that's how you feel it. Yeah. I'm like, so why don't you ask daddy? Why don't you ask one, some of your friends? How do you feel the spirit? Because it's different for everybody. It's hard. <laughs> one of the other things that we've done in that context specifically is pointed it out at general conference. Like when we're watching general conference and it's like, okay, so all of these people who are going to be speaking, we're assuming... <laughs> to the best of our knowledge, have prayed about what they're going to say, have studied, yep. have written and edited and rewritten, which they understand because my husband and I are both writers and they've, yeah. they've done all this editing, they've practiced, there's some kind of rehearsal, not for a show, but because you have to practice yeah. a talk and you know that from when you talked in primary. And so <laughs> at the same time, even though everyone is doing the same thing, they are delivering a talk you know this one is going to say something about mowing his yard and this one is going to say something about airplanes and this one is going to tell us what we need to do better and this one is going to say no we're not changing our mind about that like you know these different things this one is going to make you feel so loved this one is going to talk about his wife they may say all kinds of other things but because autism with that predictability we kind of reflect on that like even though they're all delivering messages to us, the spirit does it through their language and they all have different personalities and it all comes out in different stories in different ways. And, yeah. and so that's been helpful a little bit too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's, it's one of those, like that's been one of our recent like cuddle and talk conversations. And I'm like, Oh no, I, I don't know how to handle this one. So Thank you, Chaplain. <laughs> well, and also, and also just holding space that it's okay that he feels it differently. That it yeah. doesn't have to be, like, we compare in our, and half of us are deaf, and so we do American Sign Language, and then we also speak English. And so, nice. and also because of my travels, there's lots of different languages. They'll hear me on the phone in different languages. You know, so, so like, we, we talk about language a lot as well. And so, so we'll, we use that metaphor I guess of like it's different languages we don't all like the same foods it's okay the other thing too is our family has traveled a lot because like military we moved a lot or we've had to respond to different situations or they know I've gone to different places in the world so we talk about culture too which is one of those ways where 
I don't want to go out of bounds, but I push the limits sometimes of like, that's not actually about church. That's about culture. And if it's not your thing, mm -hmm. that's okay. Advocate for yourself in ways that are healthy and appropriate. You don't have yep. to do this or that. But also our, what are the, the nugget of truth in that is, or our faith actually is about that, or the, the scriptures say, or for strength of youth says, but untangling what? is culture like the family lives in rural Oklahoma there's not a ward on every corner like there is in Utah you know yep. and and <laughs> I have all three of my girls are biracial so they don't always see yeah. people that reflect them or things like yeah. that and so how do you navigate parenting in a global church yep much less with six kids with different disabilities like, these are such big questions. I think I could talk to you for days. Maybe we won at that yeah. making friends thing. <laughs> right? <laughs> no. Um, but it, it's it's one of those things I learned at a very young age as a, a uh, newly minted autism mom was the value of that matriarch, right? Um, and so I appreciate you giving me some matriarchal advice. Um, I think uh, Tammy does that quite well yes for for chaplains and for us um like we we call her our matriarch as well for our um female chaplains that are um in the military too while she didn't serve in the military her fa her family did so she understands the culture um and so and she's just she's just very helpful and and willing to help so i do appreciate um you kind of giving me some advice on that because it's it was one that i'm like i I don't know. And the answer will come. <laughs> so thank you for, for helping me with that a little bit. Um, and I really like the idea of bookending the day. I hadn't thought of that before. Um, we'll have to try that one. I'm trying to figure out how to do that because we have weird times and I'm, I'm the mom that, that enforces the, the schedule more than the daddy does when it comes to, to scripture study. Right, right. <laughs> the best part of matriarchy right there. Right. <laughs> Anywho, it was so wonderful to talk to you. But it's really nice to have a chaplain to be able to talk to. Because, like, I'm going to tell you, I've gone to regular counseling. Um, and I've gone and but when it comes to crisis situations, it's so much better when I have a, when I have a chaplain versus, like, the routine maintenance. Like, I need to go talk about this to kind of unpackage the child abuse thing, right? So, like, I just recently started being able to talk about that. And I found that it was easier for me to connect to a woman than it was to a man. And guess what? In the army, there's lots of psychiatrists that are men. And so my first female one was the first time I was able to talk about that. And so, but when it came to like, I really needed to just talk to somebody or I needed, but it was great to finally get to the point where we were able to navigate that and get over that. Because, and it was hard for me, like trust issues, right? that was the part that was the most helpful about having that faith-based counseling through the church was that they kind of understood where I was at. They understood the betrayal trauma and that there was ways to rebuild that. And it made, it changed my perspective. I, I'm just, I'm just very, very grateful that the church has some of those programs because I was like, I, I was trying to stay as faithful to my covenants as possible. But at what point am I, is my happiness and my mental health more important? And we got to that point, and the part that was great about it was that was probably one of my my harder ones out of all of those things we had to deal with because it was so personal. Mm -hmm. 
It's so hard. It's so intense. Yeah. Trust is a hard thing that. Yeah. Like, it's not one of the things, well, this is over, so let's move on. It's one of the things that has to be rebuilt. And so that's brutal work. That's brutal work. Yep. It's a hard thing. Yeah. You were so vulnerable, and I so appreciate your sharing. Yeah, no problem. No, that sounds great. And take your time, because number one priority for you is obviously, for every mom, is is their kids. (laughs) Um, And I get that more than anybody else. Hey, it's going to take a while. That's fine. Because the most important people are those little humans. Right. <laughs> you're you're raising. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. you spending time and all the work you did to get approval to come talk to me. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And I hope I hope you can get a little bit more people, um, get some a little bit more awareness of it, um, and then getting more people wanting to talk about it. I think it's one of those. Um, is it? <sighs> Has the, does the church put out anything to chaplains that you could potentially tag this that, is, that in? No, this is what we're trying to start. This is it. But part of the problem, too, is that I don't have, because I'm just one of the chaplains, I don't have access to anybody's email. And Tammy was going to put it in the newsletter and then pulled it out because there wasn't room. And we just haven't, it has never been announced And so I literally, unless someone shares a story where I can track down an email address, it's not even just presenting, hey, this is what I want to do. I literally can't get in contact with people. So why can't why can't they give you that? Is it just because it's per- personally identifying information that they can't you just give me a list of chaplains? Like, yeah, I'm I just not like that, that important. And and <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? And but Tammy is. I know, right? And she likes the podcast. She She's in favor yeah. of it. Um, the other issue is that I can't do it in person because we have six kids with disabilities and I cannot yep. go to the October trainings. I have to watch it online. I went a couple years oh. and what I was doing was rotating the children. Like I would bring one with me. When they turned like 12, it was their big coming of age and we went to conference together. And then one year, one of my kids got sick and had a cough and they're like, you can't bring your kids anymore. And I was like, oh, that means I can't come. So now I just have to wait. Like I can't go to the training anymore because I have too many kids to not have some of them with me in some way if I'm not deployed. Because when I'm deployed, I'm gone so much. Yep. It's just not healthy for me to, like, it, when they made me choose, I have to choose them. And so yep. I watch it online and I'm participating and I'm endorsed, like I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do, but I can't go in October. So I can't even like in person try to say, hey, this is what I'm doing. We've been friends. Do you want to do it with me to help? Like, I can't. I just have to wait. I know Heavenly Father will work it out and we were able to connect yep. and pull it off. So it will pick up as people find out about it. So definitely share your episode if you want. Yeah. When it comes out. No, it's just out. one of those. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how do you, and I, that's what I would recommend was, you know, obviously grassroots communications at the, the chaplain's training, right? Huh. I'm trying to think after watching that chaplain's training. I spoke at that one year, too. We did too. have, we, yeah, I was going to say that might be the option, too. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. you. Thank you for listening to Saints and Humans, a podcast for chaplains, even those of us who are very human and still learning to become saints. 
You can follow us by subscribing to the podcast on any podcast player. Thank you.